0: If you open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 1 through 4, that's going to be our main text tonight, and then we're going to jump over a little bit around in that passage. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Once you find your place there, we'll pray, and then we'll jump into the message tonight. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Lord, I'm thankful uh, for the opportunity they've given me to preach tonight. And Lord, I pray that you would be with each and every one of us as we go through your word this evening. I pray that you would help us to glean exactly what you'd have us get out of your word. And Lord, I pray that uh, you would help us to get a hold of the truth, Lord, that uh, your word so clearly gives. And Lord, I pray that you would bless everyone here tonight for those that have a great deal on their minds, Lord, I pray that you would ease those things. I pray that they would have open minds to hear this evening. And Lord, I pray that you would be with each and every one of us as we go home this evening. I pray you give us traveling mercies there as well. Lord, please just bless the rest of the service as it continues. And Lord will thank you for it all. It's in your name I do pray. Amen. Well, the title of tonight's message is Earnestly Heed Christ. Um, as I was reading through my devotions, I came across the a statement in particular in chapter 2 and verse 1, and I read through chapter 2 to try to see if I could pick up a little bit more on what Paul was getting at in this verse, or what he was getting ready to say in this chapter, more or less. Okay, And what I felt like he was saying, and that overarching truth, he was trying to get across, not just in this verse, but in this chapter was to earnestly heed Christ. And so let's read verse 1, and I'll explain it a little more. Verse 1 says, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. I found this verse to be very interesting, because I found it to be very telling to life itself. As we go through life, we learn, whether it be in school, whether it be in church, whether it be in Sunday school, whether it be what our parents have taught us, whatever the case may be, as we go through life, we take in information. We learn. We gather things. And as we go through life, we take in a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And as we continue to go through life, we take in more information. But there's one thing that I find to be very interesting, and this is one thing I try to beat when I'm teaching my students, as in I'm trying to keep them from doing this very same thing, But over life, we learn and we learn and we learn. But in reality, what we take heed to is very small in comparison. And so as you go through school, you learn a great deal in all the different subjects that you have. When you go through Sunday school class, you learn a great deal about whatever subject or whatever topic your teacher is talking about. And then when you come to church, you learn a great deal about the Word of God. But in reality, what we tend to do is we tend to take in all that information And we tend to let a lot of it slip. And we usually come away with just a few things. And what I want to talk to you tonight is, I want to tell you something in particular that Paul was trying to get across in particular. And it's that if there's one thing that we're going to take heed to, if there's one thing that we're going to take away out of all the things that we learn in life, he's saying that we need to take heed to Christ. Because without Christ, if we're not taking heed to who Christ is, then everything else that we learn and that we gather or that we glean from God's word is going to be of none effect if we don't earnestly heed Christ. You may say, well, what do you mean by earnestly heed Christ? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's continue to read in verse 2. Verse 2 says, For if the word spoken by angels would steadfast, was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and great gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. What Paul is saying is that we need to earnestly heed what Christ did and what Christ accomplished. So with that being said, let's look at what he did. If you look at verse 9, you get a good bearing on what Christ did when he came. Verse 9 says, "...for we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for their suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor." that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. The first thing I want us to take away from this verse is that Christ left heaven. And a little bit deeper than that, I want you to think about this for a moment. He left his position on the right hand of God. He left his infinite power to be born as a little baby, to live the same life that each and every one of us would live. So what we need to get away from this is that he tabled, he set aside his infinite power to be born, to live a life like we without sin and to rely on God's empowering in his life. Everything that he did when he was here was by the strength and the power that God had given him. God was 100% man and he was 100% God. But what he did when he came to this earth was he tabled that infinite power, and began to solely rely on his father to perform all the miracles that he did. And so what Paul is trying to say is, we need to get a hold of the fact that God's Son, who had all the power in the world, set it aside and became reliant on his father and lived a sinless life and did everything that he said he was going to do and more so that we, when we die, don't have to, like so many before, go to hell, but can come to know Him and experience everlasting life. So what, what Paul tries to get across to every Christian that reads this scripture is what Christ truly did for us. And I feel like so often we forget all that He truly went through, all that He gave up just for us. I've heard it said many times, That we are filthy, dirty rags that Christ saw and He came and He took us and He made of us something different. He loved us so much that He wanted to come to something as vile as us to give us a way of becoming something useful and becoming something different, becoming something good rather than vile and evil. And so what I want you to take away from this verse is that Christ left His infinite power and came down to be born and to live a life without sin for you and for me. Imagine that. Imagine having everything that you could ever desire. Imagine sitting in the greatest house, having everything that you could ever want, and setting all of that aside and leaving for someone That's what Christ did for us. He left heaven and came to this earth for you and for me. But there's something else that you find in this verse. He became human. I want you to look at the very first part of verse 9. It says, But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. He left perfection. He left his perfect being behind and was robed. In flesh. He left perfection for this corrupt, sinful flesh that we have. And he did that so that he could die and rise again to atone for all of our sins. And so Christ left his perfect environment to come to this imperfect world, robed in flesh. And he went through every single thing that so many of us have. He was tempted. He was tried. He was betrayed. He suffered loss. He saw so much of what each and every one of us see in our daily lives. He experienced fear. He experienced so many of the same things we experience. And he did all that so that way he could open the door for us to come to know him as our Savior. But not just that. And this is one thing I feel that a lot of us kind of skimp over. He didn't just die that so that we could have eternal life, which is one of the greatest things. But He died so that He could be with us every single day, every minute, every hour, every day, every week, every month, every year that we're on this earth. He died so that He could be a part of every bit of that. So that He could be with you when you go through suffering. So He could be with you when you mourn the loss of a loved one. So He could be with you as you endure whatever it is that the world and the devil throw at you so that he can be with you to help you overcome that sin that has beset you. He came for you. He left a perfect place for an imperfect world just for you. And that's what Paul's trying to tell all the Christians that read this portion of Scripture. Christ did so much just so that he could have a relationship with you, just so that he could keep you from spending eternity in hell. Because if you think about this, so many people before this time had no idea who Christ was. They had no ability to have an open, straight door to the Savior to come to know him. Now they had the sacrificial system that people could come into and could know about and could learn about, but that was just a placeholder. Christ came to usurp all of those things and to make an open avenue for every single person from that moment forward after his death and his resurrection to come to know him as their savior. He did all of that for a worthless person like me. And that's what Paul is trying to get across. God did so much for you. Christ gave up so much for you. Are you willing to give up the same? If Christ was willing to set everything else aside to focus on redeeming mankind, what are we willing to give up? To focus on Christ and on what we are supposed to do as Christians. And so not only do we see that he left heaven and that he became a human, we also see that he experienced life. If you look at verses 17 and 18, you find something interesting. It says, Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered, being tempted, he is able to secure them that are tempted. You know what that word secure means? It means to be able to relate. Christ is able to relate to us because he has been where we are. Think about that for a moment. The God of the universe, robed in flesh, endured so much of what we will endure in life, so much of what we have endured in life, just so he could relate to what you're going through. So when you bow your knees and you ask him to help you, Or when you say, Lord, you don't understand, you know what he can say? Yes, yes, I do. And with tears streaming down his face, as he sees you cry, and as he sees you go through what you're going through, he can say, I understand, because I've been there. And I want to tell you this right now, if you've come to know Christ as your Savior, you're not alone. He's right there with you. And so Paul's trying to get that point across too. Listen, the Savior came. He left perfection. He left his power behind. And he came and endured the very same things that you've endured. Just so that way you don't have to know that you were the only one who ever went through that. No. Christ went through it And he can relate to it. And if you continue in verse 18, you find something else. He died and he rose again. Uh not, sorry, verse 14 and 15, excuse me. If you look at verses 14 and 15, Bible says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that this, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Can I tell you this? Our Savior came and lived a sinless life. He was betrayed. He was mocked. He was scourged. He was rejected. He endured the most horrible things that anyone could ever endure. He died. He took all your sins with Him into that grave. And He rose again, waiting for you to call on His name to be saved. If that's not something that we need to take heed to and remember as Christians, I don't know what is. That's exactly what Paul's getting across. Take heed to the fact that the God of the universe came for you, endured the same things that you're going to endure, and even more than that, just so that way he could save you, a lost and worthless sinner that he saw to be worth something more And so when we look at this scripture, when we look at what we need to take heed to, especially earnestly taking heed, we need to take heed to what he did, what he set aside so that he could come here for you and for me. And not only do we want to see what he did, we also want to see what he accomplished. And without traveling any further, just look at verse 14 once again. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death that is the devil. What he accomplished was that he defeated the devil. He ripped death right out of the hands of the devil and took it into his own hands. Therefore, crushing death's hold, on man. Whenever we go through life, we come to points where we feel like we can't go any farther. We feel like the world is against us. We feel like the devil himself is standing there against us. But I, might I remind you of this? Same reminder that Paul is giving. The devil has been defeated. So even if the devil is there standing before you, attacking you full fledged, He holds not a single candle to God himself. So if you ever feel like you are being bombarded by too much to bear, remember this. You have a God that is so much greater, a God that is so powerful that he could render his own life and bring it back again and to destroy death's hold on man. Think about that for a second. You serve a God who is far greater than anything you can ever imagine. At the end of time itself, the devil and the world and every person that will oppose the Savior are all going to stand against him, and he is going to crush it like that. We serve a Savior who is far more powerful than anything that could oppose us. That's something that's to be reminded and remembered. That's something that needs to be heeded we aren't alone and we most certainly are not the weakest because we have God with us to strengthen us, to empower us and to help us. So remember that what he accomplished in that he defeated the devil. But even beyond that, if you look at verse 15, 15, it says, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. He conquered death, hell and in the grave. In Revelation, it talks about the Savior, and it says that He holds the keys, to death and to hell. We serve a God that accomplished something that nobody could accomplish. He crushed the head of the serpent, He destroyed death's hold on mankind as a whole, and He conquered death, hell, and the grave. If you come to know Christ as your Savior, death has no hold on you. And when you look at the grave, that's not a point of fear. It's just a place that your body may lay and your spirit's in heaven with Christ. So when you look at the grave, you don't have to look at something to fear any longer if you're a child of God. You can look at it as just a place where your body's going to lay. And death is not a frightening thing anymore because you know what comes next after you die. You're going to be standing in the very presence of God. And so when we talk about God having conquered death, hell, and the grave, we're talking about Him having taken the fear factor of death away. Because as a child of God, we have nothing to fear. Because when we die, we will be in the presence of our Savior. But for those that have never trusted God as their Savior, they have something truly to fear because they do not have a Savior who has conquered death, hell, and the grave. And when their last day comes, when they take that final breath, they're going to be ushered into an eternity without Christ. And anything that they felt like was hard in this life doesn't hold a candle to what they'll be experiencing after that. So I want to just remind you of this, the same thing that Paul was simply trying to remind the Christians. Christ conquered death, hell, and the grave. We don't have to worry about going to hell. We don't have to worry about death itself because we have eternal life on the other end of this life. And that's something worth taking heed to. And so in the end, you need to understand that we need to take heed to what he did And to what he accomplished. And as a form of a takeaway for tonight, I want you to take away this. I want you to go to 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. There's one thing I want you to take away from tonight. Let it be this. Let it be that you're going to keep the Savior on your mind. If you're going to. Go through this life, and if you're going to take anything to heart, if you're going to remember one thing, let it be this. Let it be the Savior and what He did and what He accomplished for you. And let that be, just like it was for Timothy and for so many other Christians, a motivation to do what God has given us to do. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. It says, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I want you to look at that particular statement right smack dab in the middle of that verse. For I know whom I have believed. If you're going to take away anything tonight, let it be that you know who your Savior is. You know what He did for you. And you know why He did it. And let that be a motivating tool for you to do what God has tasked you with doing. If God saw that giving up, everything that he did to come to be born to live a life like us was worth it to save us, then we ought to see that it is worth giving up what we desire and what God desires. And if we keep the Savior on our mind, that's exactly what's going to happen. When we think about choosing between what we know we ought to do and spending our time in an unwise way, we'll remember that it's more worth it to do what God has tasked me with doing because he was willing to give up all he did to save me. So keep the Savior on your mind. Let this same verse, let the same statement that Timothy uttered be the same statement that you utter. I'm going to read it one more time. For the which cause I also suffer these things, being willing to suffer for the cause of Christ. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. Not of being ashamed of being a Christian. Not being ashamed to tell the people that you work with that you are a child of God. Not being ashamed to tell someone that you have the open door to tell about the Savior. Telling them about the Savior. Not being ashamed of the Savior. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. Do you know who you believe? Do you know the Savior? Do you know what He did? Do you know why He did it? do you know what he's given you to do? And at the very end of the verse, he says, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Timothy realized at the very end of it all, that when he came to know the Savior, when he placed his faith and trust in God and God alone, when he repented of his sins and called on the Savior, he was sealed. And from that day forward, he was a child of God. No longer to fear death, no longer to fear hell, and no longer to fear that grave. Knowing that his Savior did so much for him and that he accomplished so much more than he could ever imagine. And working off of that and knowing that to be true. So if you're going to take anything away tonight, let it be that you're going to keep the Savior on your mind. Let's pray.